You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. Lazowitz, and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast, where each week my co-host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on the big board. That's creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, what's going on? Hey, we just had our uh, our Halloween run tonight, because uh, as you're listening to this, it's still not Halloween yet. Well, as you're listening to it, Halloween has already happened for you. Because you're in the future, but we're in the past and Halloween hasn't happened yet. So, yeah. So that was fun. I do little in-jokes for my costumes in the in the running club. So I dressed as another runner who runs in only a heart rate monitor and really, really short shorts. Uh, so I was happy for a very warm fall evening. Two-inch shorts, Matt. Two-inch oh shorts. Barely kept the boys out of public. I, I mean, do those even count as shorts? I mean, that sounds like a Speedo. Uh, it's uh, dangerously close to a speedo, but, but I have a challenge for you and, and this might be difficult, but, uh, difficult because you are generally nicer. It's so hard to get you to say something, uh, unpleasant about someone, but I saw this, I saw this challenge floating around on social media today. Say something nice about Ronald Reagan and you can't say that he's dead. Oh, he's he's Googling. Well, I am DBing. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if I enjoyed any of the movies that I I don't know if I've ever seen Reagan in a movie. That's the thing. Did I enjoy any of his work? That that would be listen, as you said, I I'm a generally a nice guy and do my best to not say negative things, but he named names. <laughs> that's a, a big big no-no right there oh, wow i am now you'd think i would have at least seen bedtime for bonzo where he's in a movie with a chimp but i have not that's the only reagan picture i think i could have named yeah he was in the killers which stanley kubrick uh no uh Don Siegel. It's based on a Hemingway short story. It's Lee Marvin, Angie Dickinson, John Cassavetes. He's got a smaller role in it, apparently. I knew, I know I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. You know, he increased the sales on jelly beans, which are delicious. Ah, <laughs> you can't, you're killing me, man. That, literally, that is as good as I can come up with. Um. Okay, okay, here's one. He's not Donald Trump. <laughs> That's, hey, hey, we don't have to see his stupid fucking face all the time. These are all pluses by comparison. As I was uh, telling my students today, we were talking about the difference between ethical protest and legal protest and moral protest. Because we were talking about the Snyder versus Phelps, you know, the the wonderful... Fred Phelps family cult. Uh, there's a fucker who's in hell, by the way, Fred Phelps. Uh, and I was like, look, my bucket lists. And they put Donald Trump in the cold, hard ground. 
They put a, better put a security guard on that grave because I'm going to go piss on it. And especially, especially if they make it a challenge, some kind of eternal flame. Oh, boy. I, I'm going to take that personally. So uh, watch out, Donnie. Coming for you. I got to think his kids are going to have him buried somewhere where they can use it as a tax write-off. Oh, and and a, as a tourist attraction, right? He's definitely not going to Arlington. Like, he's going to Bedminster. They don't bury felons in Arlington. <laughs> uh, but hey, like I told them, especially if he dies in prison, he dies as some kind of uh, political prisoner martyr. His name is going to be worth more than it ever has been. Uh, it'll be like Trump family truck stops and uh, restaurants. And it'll be it'll be the place for all the races to go. Um, and so it, it, I, they might turn it into an amusement park. The Donald John Trump Library and Amusement Park. Did they ever settle on where his presidential library was going to be? And or did they ever decide if there was going to be anything in there that you actually could read? Since I don't know <laughs> if he can. So uh, you, do you know Steve Spurrier? Uh, name's vaguely familiar. Football coach, most famously for the then Florida Gators, Washington racial slurs for a little bit, and then uh, South Carolina. Anyway, he was asked to comment about a fire at uh, Auburn once. I think it was the Auburn Library, or maybe he just came up with that part. But anyway, he said it was a real shame. Some of them books hadn't even been colored in yet. That's the kind of uh, intellectual integrity I'd expect from the Donald J. Trump Memorial Library. Anyway, he sucks. Yeah. Reagan sucks. They're both going to hell. They're not already there. One of my favorite Simpsons trios of horror shorts, The Devil and Homer Simpson, where Flanders is the devil and he summons the jury of the damned. Richard Nixon. I'm not dead yet. I just wrote an article for Red Book. I did a favor for you once. Yes, master. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Dick Nixon is still with us. And uh, and posting excellent commentary on Twitter. <laughs> right next to Headless Body of Agnew. <laughs> you know, when Futurama made Nixon president, I'm sure they thought there's no way there's ever going to be a worse president than Nixon. And then W came along and was like, hold my beer. And then Trump came <laughs> along and was like, well, hold my beer and... Give me $20 when I take it back. Oh, boy. Might be president again. It's Thanksgiving. Let's not let's not uh, bring me down on, on, on Thanksgiving, which is when this episode is dropping. Look, I'm just getting the listeners prepared to uh, to fight their racist Uncle Jerry, who oh, is so excited about Donald Trump running again. I have. God been... damn it, Jerry, shut up. We don't want to hear it anymore. <sighs> but. It is Thanksgiving, and so it is time for our annual tradition of all ages Thanksgiving here on Bat Chat. The rest of this episode will be much more gentle. It, Tell the kids they can fucking come back. Yeah, all you 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 lovely we all children. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you know everybody in our, our households. You know we're we're glad to have you all here for another Thanksgiving. And so we're starting off today with uh, Wayne Family Adventures Volume 1, 
the trade is a collection of the Wayne family adventures webtoon strips one through 25. The writer is CRC Payne, inks by Starbright, storyboards by Maria Lee, backgrounds by Lon Ma and Susie Blake, flats and rendering by CM Cameron, Camille Cruz, and Paula Pollux Fidelis, with lettering by Colomel Sabal. Release dates are September 8th, 2021 to February 9th, 2022. A look into the day-to-day life of Batman and his family, this Webtoons webcomics series mixes slice-of-life storytelling with the Bat characters readers are familiar with. It wouldn't be holidays without a bunch of uh, complaining. So let me start first tonight. Look, I'm a digital guy. I'm always going to be a digital guy. I like having all of my books with me wherever I want to go. If I want to go take a poopy on the potty, I can, you know, read my comics. Uh, I'm going to try to avoid the swears. I didn't, you know, I didn't say shit on the toilet, you know, poopy on the potty. I had to use three different apps to read three different books tonight. And that irritates me so much. So much, especially, especially when DC Infinite constantly logs me out and the password is so gosh darn impossible to remember that I have to reset my password every single time I want to log in DC Infinite. So again, just complaining, howling at the wind, but... Bill shakes fist at cloud. We've reviewed a smidgen, a taste a smattering of Wayne family adventures for the old print column. And I think we both said, Hey, this is really fun. We should read more of this. Uh, We didn't, but that's okay here. uh, It's, it's still the same. Like this is a good fun time. Absolutely. All ages. You need to know, I guess the thinnest of character outlines for these people, but it's not like you have to know their entire history. And the episodes read like little shorts. You can read one of these in the length of time it takes to go poopy on the potty. And it's just enjoyable. This book is balm for the soul. This is a strip I really enjoy. I do keep up with it. It drops Wednesdays at nine, which is when we record. So the minute I'm done recording while the episode downloads onto my laptop, I sit and I read that week's Wayne Family Adventures. It's Again, it's just about the right time. By the time I'm done reading Wayne Family Adventures, the episode is ready for me to save properly, and it's great. I assume that's some more reasonable time in some other time zone? Yeah, probably six in on the West Coast. When Webtoons drops are befuddling to me. I mean, Wayne Family is the only one I read regularly, There's other ones I've started, and it's like, I'm going to get back to these someday, but I haven't. The Red Hood one, uh, the Archie, Big Ethel one, uh, Laura Olympus, Zatanna and the Ripper. There's all ones out there that I want to read, and I just... Like The Ripper? Yeah, it's a time travel. It's Z sent back to Victorian England. Okay. At least that was the initial plot. I I don't know if they've finished that arc and it's doing something else, but... It's a buddy comedy now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know it was her and 
Constantine was in there to begin with, but I love Wayne family adventures. One of the things that I really love about it is that while Bruce is a bit softer here than, well, he's much softer than he is currently in Gotham War. Let's let's not talk about that any more than we have to. <laughs> okay. But he's still Batman here. He still is not great with his emotions. He's he's still figuring it out. He's still trying. But... He is, though, the world's okayest dad. Yes. And as we've talked about before, this also has a Damien who is in that much more tolerable Damien. And he's colored correctly. Yes. That's a huge <laughs> deal that he actually has the skin tone that he should, which, what, one in every... 10 books out of DC has him with the proper skin tone? Certainly not that I've noticed in his new book. I would have been curious to see if they had decided to give Dick a slightly darker skin tone as well. They didn't, but I've heard people since his mother was Roma, there have been some people who, especially of Roma ancestry, who said that he shouldn't be as white as he is. That makes sense. But I mean, it's also, I think Dick's, I don't know even if his mother was full blood Roma. So it's not a ton of his ancestry. So it's a little easier to argue than Damien. I love how Bruce tries in these stories. And the relationships here are front and center. Because that's what it is. I mean, we get very little action. Or at least, you know, you see very little in the way of supervillains. They talk about them more than they actually confront them. It's really very much about the family. And these first 25 strips, you've got pretty much everyone. There's a few people who still haven't popped up yet. They've popped up in the strip to present, but they haven't popped up here. But really, Harper, I don't think Azrael has shown up at all in the strip yet. But we haven't seen Jean-Paul and Selena hasn't popped up yet. I think she'll actually be in the first strip of volume two. Uh, Certainly had a reference to her. There's a reference to her. And I think in the Thanksgiving strip, she is sitting at the table, despite not having a a line. There's one figure at the, the Thanksgiving table. I've counted everybody and there's one person too many. And she's sitting right next to Bruce and has short hair. And I've got, I think that was supposed to be Selena. That'd probably do it. Yeah. It's... And then she got Damien a whip for his birthday. <laughs> yes. Most of the characters get, the main characters, get at least one spotlight strip in these first 25. Duke is a big part of this strip. And that's kind of nice since DC seems to regularly forget about him. I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Duke is useful because he is basically he is us right he is new to this world but outside of his crush story which is so sweet oh my god he's not really featured much beyond that credit where credit is is there he's got a three-part crush story that is more than he's gotten in the comics in a while Oh, that's, oh, yeah, that's very true. Very true. And I mean, yes, it's it's more of an ensemble, but 
I like that he also is in the vigilante bingo strip where the other sidekicks are introducing him to this concept of, you know, all the things that you have to go through. And that is one of my favorites because it does a great job of having a lot of those inside jokes that, you know, you and I would appreciate, but isn't so deep into it that someone who's only vaguely familiar with Batman, but is reading this strip can still get it. Maybe this is like a, a backhanded praise for this, um, or maybe just DC and, and Duke Thomas generally. This is the best that Duke Thomas has been in years, but it's still not great. But I will give absolute credit for this book more than any other actually remembering the point of duke thomas because this mentions on the page oh duke is the only one of us who patrols during the day he's the signal he's the day watch guy and i'm like holy shit they actually remembered a plot point <laughs> a duke thomas plot point that's incredible i didn't know that was allowed the character who's sticks out the most to me in here, at least in this first volume, is Damien. Yes. All the material with Damien in here is A plus change nothing. Between his birthday, where I just love that it's like, here, have a puppy. Hello, Murder King. That puppy grows up quick. Yeah. The, a big old dog. I love the prank war strip between him and Tim. This has got to stop. What? What's going on? What? Huh? Don't make me get Alfred. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We'll stop. Yes, sir. And the one-off with Talia, when she comes and asks him if he's happy, you haven't gotten deep enough into the Morrison run. The one complaint, I mean, yes, there are many, there are many people who have many different complaints about Morrison's run because people complain about everything. But I think the most universal complaint is how poorly Talia comes off in that run. And they still are working to rehabilitate the character. But here, it just gets that right with her truly trying to connect with this son who she chose to let go. And it's it's a nice, it's a very nice moment. And towards the end of the volume, the two-parter about Damien trying to make friends. Ah, that's good. Again, it has one of the panels that absolutely makes me laugh when it's like he's been asking everyone for advice. It's like, wait, he waited until the end to ask Dick, the most likable guy in the DC universe, who's everybody's friend. Why did you go to Bruce first? But the, when he's like, oh, what did Father suggest? Talk about animals. I have a cow. Oh, that was a fun one. That was a great panel. Uh, no, no, I mean the uh, the episode. Oh, uh, yeah, Bat Cow. Yes, the Batcow one off. Batcow and Alfred the Cat hanging out. Stephanie also does not have a lot going on in this volume. She's really only there for ensemble bits. And Babs as well. Babs has one strip with her and Jim. But that's really it. But Cassandra, and again, it's one of these things where it's like, they remembered something with Cassandra having her first ballet recital and Bruce missing it because of Batman stuff. That was a thing that Tinian introduced that Cassandra is fascinated by ballet, which makes total sense because of how physical 
ballet and martial arts are they are very similar to what the the training and the the conditioning that comes with them so it makes sense but the fact that no one has really followed up much on that after Tinyan came up with that concept, but they pull it off here, I love. Uh, Luke Fox pops up only towards the end of this volume, as does Kate Kane, but they're they're both introduced by the end here. I do like the little text boxes that when a character makes their first appearance, you do get a little two sentences about them. Yeah, Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman. Don't mess with her. Seriously. Don't. Aside from a couple of the, the Damien ones we've talked about, my favorite, I think, in the whole thing, and it's it's the best dad one, is the one where Alfred is getting Bruce ready for a party and talking about bringing somebody with him. And you see what happens every time he brings one of his, his boys to these parties. And it's always it's the it's always a disaster and always a different disaster and it's just i i like just how smartly done this is that each of these characters voices is so distinct Mm -hmm. i think they generally did a pretty good job when it comes to the trade of formatting the webtoon to a physical book uh, hold it up for me so I can see it, Matt. Uh, hold yeah. it up so so the listeners can see it. I mean, uh, let me here. I'll go to that the one we were just talking about. I mean, it's got the layout. Okay. Depending on the strip, some of them don't work as well because of just how the strip was laid out. So if you if you're not familiar with this, and and if you're if you're not, that's okay. Webtoons, I, I guess it's all webtoons. I don't I'm I don't know. Uh, but this is a vertical scroll comic that you can read while you go poo poo on the pot. So to put that in a print format is a little bit different. And from what Matt was able to show me and to all of you listening, it's laid out in a much more traditional comic format. The trade also does have a couple of pages in the back of the initial character sketches with fashion notes on how the designer, uh, storyboarder Maria Lee, conceived of each character's look, which is pretty neat. And one process bit from one of the, from, uh, the second script where you just see from, you know, initial rough, to more filled in rough with inks to colors to sound effects and everything it's a nice package i don't think you would miss much getting it in print but you're also not losing out on a ton if you just read the strip because it's not jammed full of extras but there's just a couple of neat little bits and certainly the artistic style is not very detailed yeah, I mean, it, it's webtoons. I mean, they're designed to be read on your phone. So I, they're not anticipated to be intense detail because you'd have to be pinching and expanding. And that's not what a webtoon is there for. No, no, you don't want to be pinching, uh, pinching and expanding while you're going poo-poo on a potty. You don't want that. The one last strip that absolutely did kill me was when the different sidekicks are arguing over which C-lister they have to go and deal with and... We learned that the one that, that nobody wants to deal with is Condiment King because your costume winds up smelling like mustard for weeks after. 
Oh, of course. And then uh, the tournament where the loser has to wear uh, the disco <laughs> disco wing costume. That was very good. And the response was, I don't think it's that bad. It's like That's why you're not allowed to do this. You're impossible to embarrass, which is so true. CRZ Payne just gets each of these characters so well. And I look forward to us getting deeper into the series in the future when we get Selena, when we get Lucius. When we get Harper, there's a two-parter. It'll be in the next volume, I'm pretty sure, where Tim talks to Kate Kane about coming out and about living in the LGBTQ community, which is something we never saw in the comics. I mean, we've seen Kate and Tim interact at the end of the Tim Drake Robin series in the, the final arc that felt like Okay, you're supposed to have 12. We're canceling you at 10. Cram everything you can into those last four issues. And so we didn't get as much between those two characters as I would have liked. But that's a good upcoming strip. There is some good spoiler as well. And the other great thing about this strip, Alfred is still alive. He sure as shit is. Doing his best, Alfred. When everyone tries to cook a pie for Thanksgiving to make Alfred's life easier. Yeah, that pie looks oh, it looks so bad. It's delightful. It's got celery in it, Matt. You don't want celery in a pie. No. Maybe if it's like a, a shepherd's pie or a chicken pot pie, but not this. Maybe yeah, that... that's that's little tiny pieces of celery that's really just the cream of celery soup you might put in there. Yeah. You're not gonna put a whole ass stock. Some of you should have known better on that one. You should have tried harder. Damien? Sure, he doesn't know any better. Who knows what the League of Assassins feeds you? It's probably gruel. Oh, oh, it's oh, it's definitely gruel. And the same for Cassandra, who was raised by, you know, David Kane to be a, a, the ultimate weapon. She was given protein smoothies, and that's it. But Dick and Tim should know better. That, that one is completely on them. I don't have anything else. I'm good. So, that means it's time for Wayne Family Adventures on the big board! We've got 327 stories on the big board. My goodness. We're busy. Number one is still Batman Year One, the post-crisis origin of Batman. At number 50 is A Savage Innocence, the issue where the Joker gets the power of the Spectre. Still, still, at a sexy 69, it's Batman 588 to 590, closed before striking. 100 is My Own Worst Enemy, the first arc of Scott Snyder's All-Star Batman. 150 is Batman, the Sword of Azrael, the first appearance of Jean-Paul Valley. 200 is Double Talk, the first appearance of the second ventriloquist. 250 is the giants of hugo strange the monster man story from batman volume one 300 is days of rage the first meeting between the post-crisis huntress and batman and at the bottom curse of the white knight boo i'm looking pretty high for this book yeah this is the book of the night no No doubt big surprise there 
so that just kind of again we tend to compare like things so looking at the rest of our all ages stuff uh we got mystery case book at 65 and i think that is the highest putting putting aside animated series stuff right Lil gotham is at 85 this and Lil gotham have a lot in common that was also a family book that also had at the time the most tolerable damien we had had ever had the art is more detailed there. Dustin Nguyen has more time because that was the half-page DC web style versus this, which is the webtoon. But this is deeper. This really yeah. looks much more deeply into these characters without ever losing the fact that it's all ages and losing the fact that it's a feel-good strip. Aside, a couple of weeks ago's new strip was Bruce, Clark, and Diana meeting and trying to decide what to do and going to bar trivia. But Clark and Diana kept insisting how, you know, Bruce is too competitive. So it's like, we can do this, but we have to lose. And just watching Bruce grit his teeth as they make the most absurd guesses and finally getting back to the cave after they've said goodnight and him just screaming and Clark, of course, listening in on the whole thing. It was, it was a lot of fun. It struck me to, to mention it as, you know, bar trivia. Of course. One that we did not mention that had the same kind of like those vibes, Justice League yard sale. Yes. And everyone wearing their favorite Justice Leaguers symbol and none of them wearing Batman. No, that was delightful. Of course, um, they didn't show Tim because Tim would have been the one wearing the Batman logo, but everybody else wearing something different. So I think this is above 85. I think this is above Lil Gotham. Well, I'm not sure how much higher. Does it beat Mystery Casebook at 65 and Batman, and for that matter, Batman, Robin, and Howard at 67? That's the right neighborhood. Mystery Casebook winds up that high because it touches a very specific note for both of us. I would completely respect a list that from two people who didn't grow up on Encyclopedia Brown. Oh yeah. Three case book lower. I still think you could argue it would probably be in the top one, 100, maybe top 150, but it wouldn't have the same thing. Batman, Robin, and Howard is a good comparison point. Because again, it's looking at Bruce as a dad and Damien as a son and growing Damien as a character. There are two very different projects, right? Because one is the longer form narrative, but these are a bunch of stories that do, you know, they do, they do tie together. They hang together. I want to, I want to push um yeah they, they write in the same i think i want to give mystery uh, uh, batman robin and howard the advantage only because i think jeffrey brown's art style does a little bit more for me than this mm-hmm. which is this is not bad i mean i like this art a lot and it absolutely suits this project all these characters are wonderfully expressive 
And the fact that you can tell each of the Robins who, even if you'd covered their their hair, because it's easy to tell which one's Jason because he has the, the skunk strip. But if you shaved Dick, Tim, and Jason's heads, you'd still be able to tell them apart, which is not always easy depending on the artist because they're three late teen, early 20 white guys. Yeah. But here they all look different and that's a big thing but i love all the little in jokes that you can get visually in batman and robin howard that again you don't always get here because of the style of the art how about the new 69 i'll go for that absolutely wayne family adventures volume one our second story of the night is impossible this is DC Super Friends number 11. The writer is Charlie Fish, with art by China Clugston, colors by Heroic Age, letters by Travis Lanham, and edited by Rachel Gluckstern. The cover date is March of 2009. The Super Friends' pursuit of the Royal Flush Gang is interrupted by a whole different kind of menace. Batmite. But that's not all, as soon the Super Friends find themselves caught between Batmite and another imp. Mr. Mixius Bitlick. So, let me tell you this. This is only available on DC Infinite. A story that is available elsewhere. Right? This is DC Super Friends number 11, volume 1. Super Friends number 11, volume 1, is all about Kingslayer. Uh, and his devious plot to assassinate world leaders because he's tired of listening to people tell him what to do. And he wants to assassinate as many world leaders as he can. So it's his first plan, as we find out, it's a, it's a diversion, right? He goes after six world leaders and he kind of bungles those plots to get all of them at the UN together. So he can take them all out at once uh, with gas and uh, their chairs rigged uh, with electricity. And uh, I think there was some gunmen involved. And I was like, this is kind of dark, man. This is a weird pick. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, let's let's try, you know, the thing that he actually listened. DC Super Friends. And uh, yeah, that was there in Infinite. Totally different thing. This... But King's Kingslayer, real, real lame villain. Yeah, I am curious to go back and look at some of those those Super Friends comics from the late seventies. That's some some stuff right there. But yeah, this is a tie-in to a toy line, not not a animated series, but they made these big chunky action figures that was really aimed at probably the five to eight age group. This is a series that I didn't read. It was a little too simple. And in some ways I regret that because there is some fun to be had in this story. Yeah, I and I like, uh, look, my, my brain's real tiny, real, real small. I'm, I'm thinking with sand here. I love the little activities, right? I love the, oh, these panels got mixed up. See if you can put them in order. Uh, friends, I was not able to put them in order. I, I put them in an order that I liked. I don't care what the writer said. Just fun little gags and activities like that. It's just, it's, this is a real cute book. And it's got 
a bunch of little like Easter eggs for old school DC fans who are probably reading this with their kid. There's uh, the fact that we've got the original Royal Flush Gang, including Amos Fortune as Ace from their first appearance back in like one of the first 20 issues of Justice League. Or when Mixie shows up, he makes a reference to turning Superman's head into an ant, which is a, a story from the Silver Age where it was red kryptonite, but Superman has the head of an ant. It's a pretty famous cover. Those oh, yeah, the- I had seen that somewhere. Right. These are like just weird little in jokes. And the fact that at the end, when you get the imps of all of the different heroes, those are all Silver Age characters. Those are oh, all of course. weird mystical characters from the Silver Age who just they use as a one panel gag. Apparently, the final issue of this series is when all the imps come back to Earth which is hinted at at the end of this story, but it's Charlie Fish. This is not a surprise from the mastermind behind Bat Scoob and Mystery Casebook. I wondered when you were going to touch on Bat Scoob. Uh, Matt loves Bat Scoob. Not that I don't like Bat Scoob. I enjoy Matt uh, Bat Scoob. Matt loves Bat Scoob. It, again, bomb for the soul. Coming back soon. This is a very simple story. And it's all it's done in three act structure with, again, the activity pages, one little activity page after each act. So there was the the one you mentioned where the panels are out of order. There was a cut out flash mask and uh, finger puppets at the very end. I would hope that the actual print version of this comic, there were ads against behind those pages where you're cutting stuff out because it would kind of suck if you were cutting into the story. Of course, knowing comic book companies, of course they would do that because if you wanted to reread it, then you'd need to buy a second copy. I tell you what, though, my iPad screen sure don't cut worth a damn. Oh, well. I got to get me a new iPad now. (laughs) You go through more iPads that way. I know. It's a fun story, and... We will at some point definitely do an episode that deals with Batmite and Mixia Spitlick because there's a bunch of stories over the years of Batmite and Mixia Spitlick. But I still can't pronounce that. <laughs> I was I was so happy to see the pronunciation guide uh, for the first time in my <laughs> grown ass life. Hold on, let me give it a let me give it a shot. Let's see if I can find it. Mix, yes, Pitlick. Mixes Pitlick. Mixes Pitlick. Mixes Pitlick. Mixes Pitlick. There you go. You, you got it. Uh, but it, I will not remember. But it's it's just full of just fun bits. I love it when Mixie annoyed that Batmite, you know, has said you know Batman can do anything by himself conjures ridiculous threats the the dragon that instead of spitting fire spits syrup uh (laughs) jellyfish on bicycles and an alien invasion uh aquaman helpfully pointing the uh the jellyfish on their way i don't necessarily regret having this one for tonight 
But as we have an upcoming episode of stories where Batman gets superpowers, I almost wish I'd held off because the, the main thrust of this story is when Batmite shows up, he's like, Batman needs to be able to stop all these villains. So I'm going to give him the powers of all of you. I'm going to take them away. And now Batman has all your powers. Part of me's like, boy, that would be a concept you could spend issues dealing with. But that is not what this is. This is absolutely designed to be read with your five-year-old before bedtime. One more random thought from uh, Super Friends 11. So Arthur is assigned to protect some similar underworld or underwater leader. And they are both standing in his hotel room. And they're like, man, we feel kind of run down. We're not feeling so great. Oh, we need water. We need water. So Arthur's like, okay, there is no time for you to get naked. So I'm just going to turn on the shower. We're both going to jump in there. Oh, no, they've replaced your water in the shower with fire. It's fire now. (laughs) Uh, And then Arthur helps him over to the sink. And he turns on the sink. And it's like, oh, thank God. The sink is still water. So we, we have this panel of just the two of them like splashing water on their necks and then it just cuts to the next scene still better than a couple of nights ago i was just looking for something mindless to put on so i put on the the classic spider-man and his amazing friends cartoon from the early 80s and there's an episode where a whole bunch of heroes are summoned to an island and it's basically 10 little indians with superheroes but namor is like ah i need to take a swim that'll help clear my head and he dives into a swimming pool. He's like, ah, ah, this is full of alcohol. It's drying me out. Wait, that is an entire swimming pool full of alcohol. Unless it's the most scentless vodka ever. How the hell did you not smell that you were in a- approaching a swimming pool full of alcohol? Nah, that'd be some real good vodka, though. uh, Yeah, I mean, it would be the clearest, most scentless vodka of all. Uh, I don't, I sometimes think, you know, most of what would have been Namor's brain cells went into those abs and not, not much (laughs) up top because, you know, King of Abslantis, not exactly the King of Mensa. Uh, But I, I keep going back to it. I mean, this is, this is just fun. There's only so much you can say about a story that, again, this is probably the most young readers thing we've read for either the column or the podcast even stuff like bat scoob works on multiple levels except for those couple of easter eggs this is flat out a kid's comic and i will say there's something really subversive about the giant vegetables here like i feel like that's like a very subtle like veggie tales dig absolutely absolutely and also the fact that they absolutely murder that giant tomato oh he is murdered (laughs) okay that might has made the vegetables from this bodega and two bottles of water into living talking grumpy things let's fire this talking tomato at the royal flush gang and as it's flying towards them and about to die it's like bombs away it's kind of like did that tomato just want to die i mean i guess i can understand if you're a giant tomato who suddenly had sentience thrust upon it maybe i would too but (laughs) 
but the, I feel bad for that tomato. If you, you know, kept it alive for a while, maybe giving it some counseling, it, it could have, you know, lived a long, fulfilling life as a giant talking tomato. I just want to sit and wait for my body to die. <laughs> and I, I've read one or two issues of this over when they first came out, and it's been a long time, so I don't remember if they quite make the moral of the story as clear at the end of each of them as they do here, where Batmite more or less reads off exactly what he learned in this story about teamwork. But again, I'm giving stuff like that a pass for, again, a story that is geared for little, little kids. I mean, they are flat out the super friends. That is what they are actively called. I wound up picking this particular issue, by the way, because the cover is great. They don't entirely say that it's a Batmite story, but what you see is all the super friends in Batman-type costumes. It's a great visual. And so I was like, oh, that looks like a neat thing for all ages Thanksgiving. And it's something I've never read before. Let me give it a shot. And there's, again, a little in-jokes when they get those costumes in the comic. Flash's response is, holy bat costumes. Again, the grown-ups appreciate that. And according to uh, the DC Wiki, that is Wally West. Because our, our super friends here, I guess we didn't say, it's the Trinity plus Flash, John Stewart, Green Lantern, and Aquaman. And apparently it's the Wally West Flash, which makes sense because Barry had probably just come back from the dead because that was Final Crisis, which was 08. So everything was still Wally because that was, he was the Flash that most people knew at this point because of the Justice League cartoon. Only now, because of the movie and the TV series, is Barry Allen the Flash that everybody knows. For a lot of years, it was Wally West. Not that there's anything wrong with that. When we start talking multiple Flashes, I'm just like, oh, all right, you guys have fun with that. <laughs> yeah, there should just be one Flash. The one true Flash, Wally West. The uh, other one's the CSI guy. Yeah, but you've already got a detective on the Justice League. Got Batman. You don't need another detective. You need a wisecracking, lovable family man slash mechanic engineering kind of guy. That's what Wally does. We're, we're stretching a little. Oh, the, the one thing that did irritate me a little, and I'm sure if I sat and looked at it, it's probably a pretty simple substitution cipher. But at the end, they go, hey, find out a preview for next issue. Use the Super Friends code. Oh, you don't know it? It's on the letters page. Only wah, they don't, Yep, they don't have the letters pages. So you can't figure out the Super Friends code. I'm sure it's A is Z and you, know, you just inverse the alphabet. I bet if I sat back and did it, I would have figured it out. But I didn't have that in me today. So I'm going to assume. And I, if I was wrong, I could always dig out one of like the two issues of this series I have. I think there's there's one with the Scarecrow. And one where all of the supervillain mad scientists join forces. I have both of those. And I'm sure I could find the, the code there, but I'm 99% sure it's a simple substitution cipher. The kids didn't mark okay to print forever. So <laughs> that's why you can't have them in the digital editions. I'm good on this. Oh, that means it's time to put DC 
DC, DC, Super Friends, number 11, impossible on the big board. This is deep in Trifle Town. This is is somewhere in the the one, the low 100s, upper 200s area. Probably even in the upper, upper, you know, because Trifle Town is now, is now the 200s. Well, I mean, at Batman number... across the water at two seventeen is pretty good. Trifle Town country, yeah. and I like that story more. And it it does not top Joker's boner at uh, two twenty. <laughs> Batman sixty six. I'm trying to figure out a floor on this. It's above two sixty six. Two sixty six is when we start getting to things that we had serious problems with. Yeah, and we don't have any all ages stuff that low. No, ah, we, we we do one book, uh, not super at two eighty one. Ah, that's right, Clark Kent the bully. Yeah, completely Oof. doesn't get Clark Kent, and Bruce Wayne is a sad sack. Yeah, mm-mm, not good. Um, I would very easily put this above Leaves of Grass at two fifty three because that's that's not good. Yeah, so right above that is another all ages book, a uh, little red book, the one off Batman Adventures where Bruce is trying to find Rupert Thorne's ledger. I think it might go right in there. It's either above or below Little Red Book because I don't think it beats that first Hugo Strange or that the first Hugo Strange story, the first Monster Man story at now two fifty one. It's tough putting any of these stories up against animated adventures i almost have like a separate category of like all ages stuff those are all ages only in that they pull back on some of the more the more gory and the more even though i mean some of those that we've seen i mean mad love is psychologically intense going straight is psychologically intense. The one where Gordon has to f- find the undercover officer. That could have been a regular non-animated series book if it just had different art. Exactly. Uh, but that doesn't help us here. I mean, I think we I, could put it right above... Whoa, whoa, what were you going to say? Right above Leaves of Grass. Yeah, I like I like that. So the new... Becomes the new 253. Our final story of the night is President Batman. This is Batman, The Brave and the Bold, Volume 1, Number 3. The writer is Matt Wayne, with pencils by Andy Suriano, inks by Dan Davis, colors by Heroic Age, letters by Steve Wands, and edited by Rachel Gluckstern. The cover date is May of 2009. The president has been threatened, and so Batman has taken his place to flush out the kidnappers. With Green Arrow disguised as his bodyguard, the Dark Knight and the Emerald Archer, face aliens, gorillas, and Congress. Which is the greatest threat? So, I think it's very cool to have a black president, right? Because that's that's neat, right? Because we had a, we've had a black president before. It's maybe not the best to have a black president in your story when Batman is going to impersonate him. Uh, that's getting a little too close to blackface, especially in, you know, an all ages comic book. Uh, I think we might want to have that one back if we could. 
it's it is 2009 so we're right in the obama era but yeah no it's it's weird and on top of it it's a white writer despite a white writer who was close friends and often wrote with Dwayne McDuffie there's some stuff here that especially towards the end also that's a little racially tone deaf yeah if you're gonna do a black president and mindful of it maybe being Obama I think the guy needs to look like Obama and then that would make more sense but yeah odd choices here one of our higher all-ages books, all the way up at 117, is another issue of this series. But that's issue 20, and it feels like by that point, they probably had a better feel for how this should work. I'm trying to remember when Brave and the Bold premiered. I want to say it, it, it had been a little while, because this is cover date of may of 09 so we're getting a release date of march of 09 and the first episode of brave and the bold i want to say was september of 08 november of 08 okay so with the lead time they were probably working off of early scripts because this felt clunky to me one of the beauties of Brave and the Bold is Brave and the Bold and 66 share a lot of DNA because they both are playing very straight with the ridiculousness of these worlds. And this got a little too jokey in places. The bits with the Warlord of Okara and with the fight in Congress is all just sort of wacky without there being any gravitas to it to balance it out. Yeah, and, like if, the, if this was a 66 story and Batman was impersonating the president and somebody challenged the president to a fight, he would say, let's not fight. Let's I will I will best you in a contest of wits. Uh, I'll show you that this country is strong, not for its its brawn, but for its brains. And they'd have some kind of like riddle contest or something. Or even if Batman was going to have to fight physically the warlord of Okara, it would have been done and not just, hey, I'm going to flip you in the Oval Office and pin you. It, it, I felt like it would have been a more involved sequence. He would have done something to prove a point and... It just, it was there to be wacky. And the thing with everybody literally fighting on the floor of Congress, granted where we are right now, it feels like I, I almost wish they would just beat the shit out of each other. It might be better than what we've been getting the past three weeks. Hey, there is actually a Speaker of the House and he is actually a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, just because... Well, I mean, uh, that was a given, of well, course. Yes, but he. this is not one of these people who is, you know, a piece of shit who works around being a piece of shit. No, he's vocally an election denier and homophobe. So, in the immortal words of Dr. John Zoidberg, screw you! Ah, oh, Matt, the, the vitriol is so thick with you tonight. Eh, even I have a time. Uh, even I have a day. I'm hoping that by... When by the time all y'all are listening to this, 
I am back to my normal jovial self. But for tonight, I'm in the mood to, you know, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm all out of bubble gum. You know, we, by the time this comes out, like Thanksgiving, right, we might be doing this speaker nonsense again. Because I haven't heard anything about uh, any motion to vacate the chair uh, reforms. So that, that rule might still be in place. I, I've got some political decisions, but we're going to do that off the episode. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm curious about your opinion on a couple of things. Just, just Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, but um, we, we have time to do this. We've got to get some more discussion here. Yes. So, yeah, I especially don't like the Oval Office scene and the Congress scene back to back. To have them both is like putting, it's putting a hat on a hat. Uh, so I think that the editing here could have been sharper. I think, again, it feels like you weren't given scripts. You weren't even really given the series Bible. You were given, hey, this is a, a crazy series where Batman teams up with a different superhero every episode. There's a cold open with one hero and then a main story with the other. And it's light and it's weird and it's wacky and go. But it wasn't made clear that it has to play straight with the world. We've only seen a couple episodes of Brave and the Bold and the the movie. You haven't watched much else or any else of it, have you? Mm. Yeah, as we watch some of the others, you'll see how straight Batman is. And even often how serious the world and the threats are. And it's often just the other heroes who are kind of wacky or sometimes the villains are wacky, but it's not a comedy series. It's an action series that is younger audience skewed with the action. I mean, yeah, Aquaman is, is this wacky sort of, you know, blowhard, arrogant character. Green Arrow is always competing with Batman. Plastic Man's there being Plastic Man. Blue Beetle is the young hero who's still learning. They're the four who show up the most. But it's still a straight action series. And this is a comedy comic with some action in it. And this could have been almost anybody right here with Batman. Uh, not much that defines it as Green Arrow. Interestingly, the cold open is Wonder Woman. This is well before Wonder Woman appeared on Brave and the Bold. They held Wonder Woman and Superman off until much later in the series. I think probably because of like weird rights stuff with the possibility of animated series for each of those characters on their own. But they didn't show up for quite a while into the series. So this would have been well before. And Wonder Woman's look here is not the same as her look in the, the series. Here it's very much like the modern Wonder Woman in the series, she has a, a more golden age look, which more suits the aesthetic of the show. Since Batman is in a very Dick Sprang, late golden age costume, Green Arrow is wearing his golden age into silver age outfit. Aquaman is in his, that period. Going with the modern Wonder Woman look seemed more out of place. Hmm. Interesting. But what got me is, okay, so you've got the ultra humanite as your villain. And again, that's a thing that is there for fans. It was like, oh, hey, here's the ultra humanite. And he's got this big white gorilla. And well, we know that eventually the ultra humanite's brain winds up in the body of a big white gorilla. So when is he going to wind up in the body of the gorilla? 
It's Chekhov's big white gorilla. Which is, I mean, it's it's fine. But again, we also, this is 2009, so there is still stuff in here that is also a little, like, like the Okaran, warlord of Okara, who are a DC alien race, shows up and says that America is showing, quote, sissy weakness, unquote. Not a word we use anymore. I don't even know if it was a word we really used back in 2009. And then you get to the very end and Batman and Green Arrow have just teleported back to, you know, let the president know he's safe and left the ultra humanite alone in the castle conscious. That didn't seem like a good idea, but the first lady is holding a state luau for the president of a fictional Polynesian nation that guy looks right out of any stereotypical 80s Banana Republic U.S. jingoistic propaganda. Yeah, a little bit too much like Manuel Noriega. Very much and, so. And uh, his hat has a pineapple on it. And in the end, it's all to get him to take American aid. Versus, you know, trade or something. It's like, okay, you've proven that you you brought superheroes. Sure, I'll accept your help. Couldn't have had a better reason, like a, a mutual reason for him to be there. I just, I didn't know why it needed to be there other than the writer or the artist thought it would be fun to do a luau scene. Yeah. This issue lacks subtlety which is a lot of what is fun in Brave and the Bold, is that it is very subtle in its humor in places. I mean, it's also very broad in its humor. I mean, Aquaman is an intentionally broad and wacky interpretation of that character. But there is subtlety. And here, this is just sort of kind of club you over the head with the jokes. Yep. And a lot of the jokes don't land. Up to, you know, Green Arrow as, quote-unquote, President Batman's bodyguard wearing his Green Arrow hat with a wig over the hat. You're not playing straight with the world. Mm -hmm. The reason why 66 and Brave and the Bold work is you play straight with the world. And it's Batman is the, the calm center in a wacky world. And if you've got Green Arrow not really disguising as like, ha-ha, look at that, it takes you out of that world. And I said, this series gets gets better as we go. And I still am angry that there's no easy way to find the all new Batman Adventures issue where there's some sort of time thing and all the Robins, Jason, Dick, Tim, Carrie, Kelly, Steph, all wind up drawn in Brave and the Bold style working together to save Batman. An issue that is not readily available anywhere online, which is very frustrating because I've wanted to do that issue for ages. But early in the series, they don't understand what makes a Brave and the Bold story work. And I'd say this stuff gets right up to the line of being problematic. Just it's right there. And I I am not confident to say that it crosses that line. I don't think it does, because if it is at all problematic, it exists in that place where it is problematic, not because of intention, but because of ignorance. Yeah. Or because you're attempting to do something like, see, we've got a black president now. 
we're going to have a black president in this story not thinking about how you're having a white guy impersonate a black man. It's, it's not like you were intending to do anything. It's not like you were even crossing a line, but it just you didn't think enough about how you should have handled that in this story. Exactly. And at least, I mean, the Polynesian president doesn't have like a an accent or speak in broken English. That would have pushed it over the line. Oh, boy, that would have been bad. But here he just, the way he's presented in that outfit, it's too Noriega, it's too Woody Allen's bananas. Speaking of problematic. Um, <laughs> for my taste. But I think that's about it here. Oh, that means it's time. But Batman, the brave and the bald, number three, President Batman on the big board. This is the lowest of the night. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about Demons at 272. Demons is the second Batman Adventures annual. It's a Rachel Ghoul and Etrigan story. It's slight. I, I think the thing with this one, I was hotter on this than either you or Dan, who was the guest star on this episode, was. And I was mostly hot on it because of some of the, the art, the Bruce Tim doing Jack Kirby art. It's remembered as, oh, this is the story where Bruce with Tim the does, some, does some Jack Kirby and it's got some nice art in places. It's got a really cool like flashback with Raish and Etrigan meeting during the pirate times. The story itself is not very memorable, and it's it, it doesn't hit as strong as the rest of them. It is still better than this, though, because it's still gorgeous in places. It was also, I think there was some other stuff in there. The art was felt a bit rushed. It also doesn't quite have the, the Brave and the Bold style down yet. Again, very early in this series. So I think we have to put this above 282. Uh, it sounds yes. like you want to you want to keep this below demons at 272. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe 278. I think I like Batmite's New York Adventure, which is a, a very light little trifle. But I would probably go back and reread this before I reread the Nightwing New 52 origin. Boo. So I think the new 278 it is. All right. And hey, that does it for tonight. Next week, it's the start of a string of Patreon requests. First up, Dan Grote has asked us to read three stories featuring Gotham's most tuberous PI, Joe Potato. Joe Potato! We'd like to thank our Patreon backers, Dan Grote, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum, mm. Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Go Yutes, Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bobby Tubas, Tim Rooney, Giorgios Reggioli, David Wheel, Alexander Wheel, and Matt McThorne for their support. McDorney! You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on ComicsXF.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. 
You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash batchat with Matt and Will, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at mattlast 1013 And I'm at Will Nevin. I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books. For my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend Dan Grote and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark. <laughs>